Welcome to Meet the Professors. This is medical oncologist Dr. Neil Love. As with all of our MTP programs, we ask practicing oncologists to present challenging cases from their practices to clinical investigators. And for this lung cancer program, Dr. Tom Lynch and Dr. Alan Sandler were the faculty for the first session, and Dr. Mark Sosinski and Dr. Martin Edelman were the faculty for the second session. The first case was presented to Drs. Lynch and Sandler by Dr. Bill Reeves. This is a 78-year-old white female who is a smoker, has a one-pack-per-day habit of over 50 years. She's also a widow, has a very good lifestyle, golfs on a regular basis, travels to Florida for the winter times, good performance status. But about two years ago, had a mild, non-productive cough, no hemoptysis, no weight loss, no complaints of pain. Her primary care physician did a routine chest X-ray, and indeed there were some shadows that led to a subsequent CAT scan. There were bilateral pulmonary nodules present, no evidence of any distant disease such as liver mats, and a bone scan was negative. She underwent a CT-guided biopsy, and an adenocarcinoma with bronchial alveolar features was identified. None of the special mutations or additional studies were obtained. We didn't have that type of skills in our hospital. She was really focused on quality of life issues. She was very much in control all throughout her 78 years and wanted to remain that way. We talked about chemotherapy for bilateral disease and she did not want to pursue that, but she was willing to accept ERISA at that time. So she started on that agent. She had just a very mild rash, facial acne rash, not enough that she would even have to start on any antibiotics or use any extra special makeup. As part of her follow-up, she went down to Florida for six months and was lost to me. When she returned, we restaged her a year into ERISA treatment, and there was evidence by CT scan of a slight progression. It was certainly not a doubling. No new nodules had appeared. But we, at that point, talked about the drug not having any sort of shrinkage but may have stabilized things, but we also said that we weren't sure it was doing anything at all. So we stopped the agent. Can you talk a little bit more about the woman? I was interested what you were telling me about the fact that she was a longtime smoker and didn't yeah. want to quit. She actually is one of those people who acknowledges that she likes to have a cigarette. It's part of her daily routine. And again, she's a very independent person. She's a widow and has two daughters, but a very active social life. And, and as part of her social life, she goes to the country club and has a couple of good ones in the afternoon and enjoys her cigarettes. And she just does not feel that she's willing to go through any sort of change in her lifestyle at this point. Tom? And what was the total duration of time she was on Jafitnib? One year. One year. And she still is not interested in chemotherapy? That's correct. Alan? Was there ever any documented benefit of treatment? You mentioned a CT scan and then a year later that may be slight progression. Mm -hmm. More than resist criteria progression? No. It was stable disease, basically. Uh, I'd keep treating her. Just to clarify, she did progress at one year, is that correct? Yeah, I mean, it was less than 20% of any bidimensional. At one year? At one year. Oh, really? Yeah, so... It wasn't exactly what you had asked, but... That's fine. So, Tom, what do you think you would consider at this point? Well, it sounds like you've had a pretty good outcome from ERISA over a course of a year. A couple of features, things that hit me. One is that she had adenocarcinoma with BAC features, and that's the type of BAC that we think responds to gefitinib and erlotinib is the adenocarcinoma with BAC features, not the mucinous BAC or the true BAC. We think it's the adenocarcinoma with BAC features. So she at least had that going forward as well. I think it's unlikely that she had an EGFR mutation given the fact that she was a heavy smoker. But I think if you've gotten a year and she still hasn't formally 
progressed in a major fashion. I think you're doing a terrific job with her, and I would be inclined to keep her on Orissa if you wanted to switch her to Tarceva because of the issue of getting better drug levels in smokers or a more effective biological dose in a smoker. I don't think that's crazy. But I guess the question that would push me would be from your perspective is, is she having new symptoms? Is the scan taking off to the point where you really are worried? But if you're not worried, I'd probably keep her on the drug. At that point, how worried were you? I wasn't worried, but I was just concerned that I wasn't doing very much. She was as healthy as she was when I first saw her, or unhealthy, depending on how you look at it. There was absolutely no change in performance status. Quality of life was good. She did complain a little bit about the rash. As sophisticated and well-off as she was, she was paying some money for the drug and didn't exactly want to pay that much. But it wasn't a big issue. Alan, what would you be thinking about doing right now? I mean, I think you did exactly what I would have done. I mean, you might have even talked to her at the time about not starting and delaying the start of treatment since she was asymptomatic and you really weren't going to impact. Did her cough get better? You know, it did resolve, but I'm not sure it was related at all. Okay. So that might have been something, someone who's asymptomatic disease might have even waited before going on. But nonetheless, I think that's very reasonable. So for now, what I would do is you have, the way I'd say it would be two choices. Just follow her with a CT scan every three months or a chest X-ray if it's visible on chest X-ray and or until she gets symptomatic. And then when you're ready to start again, the same discussion about chemotherapy that you've already had, because even though we say it doesn't work in BAC, it actually does. Or I would consider trying just for the heck of it, Tarsiva, and see what happens, because I'm not convinced that she actually progressed, quote, failed Mm -hmm. therapy. I think you've given her a chemo holiday and reinstituting therapy with Tarsiva. Not that I necessarily think it's going to do that much better. I just think it's interesting with the smoking history, blood levels, et cetera, to try it again, particularly since it sounds like she's not terribly interested in chemotherapy. I don't like to disagree with Alan because it's uncomfortable, but I will disagree a little bit in that I would bet you that the risk you're giving her probably hasn't done a heck of a lot. I suspect this is just the natural history of the disease. Right. So in that type of a situation, I don't think I would go to Tarceva. Because the ERISA to Tarceva switch has helped me in a couple of people with mutations or situations where they have tumors that are very EGFR dependent. I think in this setting, I'd probably go to something like Navalbean if I had to pick a single drug. She's 78 years old, treating the elderly. The young 70s, I tend to treat with the Sandler regimen, carboplatin, taxol, bevacizumab. The older 70s, 80s, I tend to like single agents. And I do think that it's not crazy. Is she of Italian background? No. No. Well, if she was Italian background, the nice study from Italy that showed that giving Navalbean improved outcome compared to best supportive care. In Boston, we have a lot of Italian background patients, so it's always a nice thing. I think you wouldn't be wrong if you picked Taxol, Taxotir, Gemcitabine. All of them have evidence and phase two data that supports their use as single agents in this kind of a setting. Well, we didn't officially disagree all that much because I did say that chemotherapy, if she was willing, sounds like she's probably not. But you wanted to give her a Vastin. So, Alan... You are convinced that her CAT scan is definitely progressing. What about the possibility of adding in bevacizumab? And can you comment on the data that was just presented at ASCO on that? Right. So I think you'd have two choices. Just, again, continue to watch since she's asymptomatic. And if you wanted to do the chemotherapy, you've described someone who, although is 78, is doing as well as any 60-year-old that we have in practice as well. And so whether it be taxol carboplatin with bevacizumab, again, we have the data that shows adding bevacizumab to that regimen provides improvement in survival. There is some toxicity potentially associated, although her particular presentation would seem to be the ones that would potentially suffer the least with it. 
in terms of that she has small peripheral base nodules. And so that would be reasonable. If she really does not want chemo, and just the issue of the combined targeted agents of erlotinib and bevacizumab, initial phase one, two study that Roy Herbst and I did, then now with a randomized phase two study, previously treated non-small cell, non-squame, same ECOG 4599 baseline criteria, that would suggest in a small randomized phase two study that you get more bang for your buck adding bevacizumab either to chemo or erlotinib. The chemotherapy choices was olimpta or docetaxel. And there were three arms, chemo alone, chemo bevacizumab, erlotinib bevacizumab. And my take on that was that both of the bev arms, the bev chemo and the bev erlotinib, even though you couldn't really right. compare them directly, kind of looked the same and they were both better than the chemo. It was about four and a half months time to progression versus three months. Having said that, those patients who were on that study had never been exposed to prior EGFR inhibition or bevacizumab. So she doesn't really exactly fit that group. Tom, what was your take on those data? And what do you think about this combination in non-protocol therapy? I think the data were certainly provocative. There's a large randomized trial to confirm Alan's findings with Roy. And I think that'll certainly be helpful. And I think it's emerging. What I wanted to ask Alan was, Alan, do you think five years from now, when we use single agents, we'll be adding bevacizumab to it? What does your gut tell you? Yes. I think that ultimately will be positive. So you think we'll probably be using bevacizumab with most chemotherapy that we use in lung cancer patients? I would think so. I think that it's pretty clear now across the board in multiple tumors, multiple chemotherapies, that adding bevacizumab to chemotherapy makes that chemotherapy better one way or another. And so if and when the time comes that this woman allows you to treat her with chemotherapy, I would be adding bevacizumab to that. I think that we have at least toxicity data that's out there with, again, the Olympta and with docetaxel. We have it with taxol in the breast cancer population. So for practical purposes, would you, in a non-protocol setting, use single-agent chemo plus bev in a situation like this? Sure. I'm not convinced she couldn't get doublet therapy, though, to tell you the truth. But Performance-wise. Yeah. And, you know, even though I would say no... I actually have, because what I've done is, intellectually, I thought, okay, I'm going to treat her with carboplatin, taxol, and bevacizumab, but I think I'll hold off on the carboplatin. So it was sort of a backdoor way to treat her with a Avacid up front and not think I was actually doing it. So it's not crazy. I like that. Carbotaxol without the carbo. Right. <laughs> so she wants to get the double. Yeah, it's not really yeah. single agent therapy, right? Well, you can take it the next step and do taxol without taxol by doing a Braxane. You can use a Braxane instead of taxol. Right. Of course, yeah. Can you follow up with what happened with this patient? We had discussed the situation, like you suggested, we stopped treatment. And she's now 81 years old. We do CAT scans about every six months. No therapy at all. Performance level is still zero one. How long has it been now? It's been two years off therapy with just slight evidence of progression. And like you described, it's the natural history of her illness. I remember when I was back in Indiana before all the data about BAC and being a different disease and whatnot, but I had a couple of patients like that where we didn't treat and we just kind of watch how things go and used to joke about how I wished I'd put the patient on a study because their survival would have been so good and would have made whatever I gave them look that much better. Tom, how often do you see this in BAC and how often do you see it outside of BAC? Before the availability of erlotinib or gefitinib, my routine for BAC was always to watch and wait first. That was the one of the types of lung cancer that I always gave them a period of watch and wait. And 10, 20% of the time, I think you get a kind of outcome that you got in this setting. So it's not incredibly unusual, but it's not the most common presentation. And when it happens, it's very gratifying. What's it been like to take care of her off therapy? Is she calm or nervous? She is not nervous at all. And you've talked in the past about how some patients have this guilt sensation that they induce their own. She's guilt-free. I mean, she's not depressed. 
she has great quality to her life. She's lived a full life. If tomorrow she dies from a heart attack, she'd be okay. And she's still smoking away? Absolutely, every day. That nicotine, that's yeah, good still stuff. Still smoking away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Any other thoughts or comments about this issue, Dr. Weinstein? Well, one of the points that Alan was making is about stopping the chemotherapy component of first-line therapy for metastatic disease, but you don't necessarily stop the Avastin component if the person has been treated with first-line Avastin. So they don't really get a holiday, right? I mean, the, the ECOC study was Avastin until progression Correct. after six cycles of carbotaxel. Correct. Just like the TK inhibitors. I think the targeted agents, at least as of now, we handle a little bit differently than chemotherapy. Toxicity is a little bit easier, number one. Mm-hmm. And at least in the angiogenic issue, and also the TK inhibitors, there's certainly theoretical reasons why you'd want to keep it going until progression. 